We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. At this point, none of my thoughts are about the previous game. It's all about what's our new game plan and what's our what's our mindset going into Denver this week and how can I attack that and get to know get to know the plan and get to know the defense as best as I can going into Sunday. Um, so I'm really not focused on anything really that happened in the game. Obviously, there's some things throughout the week that we know that came up in the game that we'd like to do a better job of. But all my focus is on the game plan for Denver. That was Sam Howell from earlier today. Wednesday is media day for the quarterback in the NFL. And Sam did address a lot of what happened on Sunday, but eventually got to the point where he was ready to move on to week two and their showdown with the Broncos in Denver on Sunday. The show's presenting sponsor is Window Nation. Call them at 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com. Mention my name. They'll take good care of you. You'll get a free estimate. Again, 866-90-NATION or windownation.com. Thanks to Window Nation. Two guests on the show today. Scott Van Pelt will be on in the next segment. Mark Zuckerman after that. Uh, Nats GM Mike Rizzo finally got that contract extension today. Good for him, uh, and I think good for us as well. I'll also ask Mark about the Steven Strasburg retirement situation that has gotten A bit sideways. Uh, For those of you asking about a Cooley film breakdown for this week, uh, maybe later in the week or perhaps next week he is busy. Uh, I do know that on Sunday he heard from Alex Ovechkin uh, very early in the morning who was wondering why Cooley wasn't at the game on Sunday because Alex Ovechkin was uh, so were a lot of other athlete uh, celebrities on Sunday at the game, including Philadelphia 76ers center Joel Embiid. Of course, Washington's new owner, Josh Harris, he owns the Sixers. And Embiid came down to the game and sat in the owner's box, took pictures with Josh Harris and others. There's one picture in particular of Embiid and Kevin Durant uh, with Josh Harris. And that picture... Uh, was commented on by longtime Philadelphia sports personality Howard Eskin. Howard Eskin quote tweeted that picture, or whatever we call it now on X. Is it a quote repost? Whatever. He wrote this about Josh Harris 
with Joel Embiid in this picture. He wrote, quote, Tone deaf is one way to describe this photo. Which fans are more offended? Philly sports fans, Eagles, or Sixers fans? Can't figure out who's more asinine. The owner of the Commanders and 76ers, Josh Harris, for asking Joel Embiid to appear at a Commanders home opener as ambassador for a rival Philadelphia team or Embiid for agreeing to it. A Sixer is insulting to his biggest fan base when supporting a rival of the Eagles. Does, any, does anybody in Philadelphia even respect or like Josh Harris? Uh, hashtag clearly tone deaf. That was Howard Eskin, longtime Philadelphia WIP Eagles radio network guy, rather opinionated, as you know, many in this business are. Uh, he's uh, a polarizing personality in that market, has been for a long time. I've had Howard on my show many times on the radio show. I think I've had him on the podcast. I just had him on recently, in fact, to talk about Josh Harris. And he's not a fan of Josh Harris. Um, I think I basically told him in that interview that it really doesn't matter much about Josh Harris. We would have taken Lee Harvey Oswald as the new owner if he were still alive, if it meant that we didn't have to have Dan anymore. Uh, To which Howard actually agreed, yeah, Dan's much worse. But he's not a fan of Josh Harris, thinks that... You know, basically, it's a business to him, and, you know, making money is the priority, not winning. Um, That's his take. Uh, Now, as far as Harris goes, I like Josh Harris so far. Uh, I haven't mentioned this, but I have had a chance to meet him and um, have a conversation with him. And I, I think he's smart. I think he's genuine. I think he's far different than Dan in a lot of ways, but one way more than any other. He's not arrogant. You know, uh, there's a humility to him, as well as the biggest minority owner in, in, in the franchise, Mitch Rails. Like, that is a far different, uh, you know, personality trait with this ownership group compared to Dan and his group. I had somebody um, text me on Sunday, late Sunday, to say, um, you know, one of the things that was noticeable pregame was Dan wasn't walking around the field, uh, you know, with his henchmen just dripping arrogance um, and said that these guys were engaging and they were friendly to anybody and everybody. Um, yeah, look, they're enjoying the attention that comes with this new team as they should. And they're also in that, you know, mode of really trying to you know, let everybody know, hey, it's a new day. Dan's gone and we're not Dan. And so far, I think that's true. But anyway, from my perspective so far, it's been so far so good, uh, no matter what Howard Eskin uh, thinks. But uh, look, we needed this. We had to have this. And that's something that Philadelphia fans, Eagles fans anyway, don't really understand or get with Jeffrey Lurie having owned that team for as long as he's owned it now. Um, But Howard Eskin did have a point about Embiid being in the box at a Washington game when Washington is a division rival of the Eagles who are a team in the city in which he plays NBA basketball. You know, we didn't like it, or some of us didn't like it, when John Wall 
had an Emmett Smith Cowboys jersey on at a Redskins Cowboys game walking around on the sideline. Bryce Harper never hid how big of a fan of the Cowboys he was. You know, you really look, you can't count on players these days to figure that kind of thing out unless they are really in touch with their city and their fan bases. Um, I'm sure, by the way, at this point, it would have been much worse for Eagles fans had Embiid been in Jerry Jones's box or even in the Mara's box in 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 uh, in the Meadowlands. Our team isn't the rival for their fan base that the other two teams in the division are. Look, the part of what we've had to suffer through is horrible teams, horrible ownership, but also the loss of our standing in the division. You know, we're not really the Cowboys' chief rival anymore. That's the Eagles. The Eagles' chief rival is the Cowboys, and maybe that's always been the case. But, you know, we were a big part of the mix of rivalries in the division, and, you know, they've just beaten the shit out of us for so long, and and they've understood, those fan bases have understood, and those organizations have understood that, you know, we're at the bottom of the barrel. Um. I don't know. Uh, look, in, in, look in, in in Joel Embiid's case, okay, he was there with his owner, his boss, the guy that owns the NBA team that he played for. What's he supposed to do? Say no? Yeah, but I, I doubt that he even really um, knew that this might, you know, generate uh, an actual response. Um, maybe Josh Harris shouldn't have put him in put him in that position. But you know what? Like, this is an old school thing, I think. Fans like Eskin are the only ones who really care because rivalries aren't nearly as important as I think they used to be, or they're not as important as they 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 are with older fans. Um, they aren't as aren't as important with younger fans as they are with older fans. Excuse me. Um, it's, it's certainly with professional sports. Uh, anyway. I thought that that was kind of entertaining. Um, I think we reacted similarly to John Wall being in that Cowboys jersey uh, and Bryce Harper on, you know, during an All Star game, asking Joe Buck and uh, uh, about you know the Cowboys and and whether or not you know Dak and and uh, and Zeke were healthy. I think was the question several years ago. Uh, don't forget to rate us and review us. Very important for us, especially on Apple and Spotify. And I mentioned this with Tommy yesterday. If you've had some issues and a couple of you have had issues, more than a couple of you, although it's a minority percentage of those that are listening and it hasn't happened to me yet, but some of you have had for whatever reason on Apple and Spotify, when the show is downloaded, you've just gotten ads like four to five minutes of ads we have tried to figure that out. We are trying to figure that out. We did put, it, it wasn't us, it's it's our publishing platform, uh, a company called Megaphone, and I think they've tweaked something, so we're hopeful that it won't happen again. But just a reminder that if it does happen, you can always just listen to the show uh, on the website uh, at com or com. Both URLs will pop up the show with a big button that you hit play on and you can listen to the show that way if you end up having issues. But I do apologize for those issues. Um, 
Rate us and review us if you have time, you know, uh, on Apple in particular. It's always good to get um, a, a rating and a review because it really does help our ability to generate revenue. This from Billy Ho. Love the show, especially during football season. Met Tom before. Would love to run into you. By the way, he titled his review, Kirk Stinks, uh, but did give us five stars. Um, and then this from Neil. Uh, Neil titled his review, STMS, Sheehan Time Management Services. Uh, and he wrote, once again, the clock whisperer, uh, whisperer enlightens us. Seriously, though, the second you said to run out of bounds at the nine and a half yard line, I said out loud, because you can't get a first down. Great take. Um, yeah, I was talking about what I thought. Again, it was a weird situation. Andy Reid in that first game last Thursday night going for a fourth and 25 you know, with still three timeouts left. Like, we've never seen that really happen before. And so it just occurred to me and my son, we were sitting there watching it, what if he had just taken it and run backwards to the nine-and-a-half-yard line? At that point, it would have absolutely guaranteed that the Chiefs would have gotten the ball back because Detroit couldn't have made a first down and run the clock out. They would have gotten the ball back, worst case, down eight with a chance to score, two-point conversion tie. Um, More likely than not, down four. Um, And it's possible they could have gotten it down one if Detroit turned it over or missed a field goal. It's also possible Detroit could have gone for two and gone up by nine. But that was the only way to guarantee getting the ball back. And the context of that particular moment was Andy Reid clearly did not believe in his defense. Anyway, rate us, review us, especially on Apple and Spotify. And again, if you've had some issues with Apple and Spotify, just go to thekevinsheehanshow.com. That is always there. The show always gets posted there. And even though it is posted on a similar platform, um, no one's had an issue listening via the website uh, uh, show um, platform. So anyway, uh, by the way, um, we talked. Uh, I talked a little bit about Denver yesterday in the game that they had played against the Raiders and that there were only six possessions in the game, which was crazy. The other thing about that game that I didn't realize until I watched more of it last night Sean Payton opened up that game with an onsides kick. The first look at Sean Payton's Denver Broncos for Denver Bronco fans was an onside kick. Amazing. Remember, he did that in Super Bowl 44 to start the second half against the Colts as the Saints coach, and it ended up being one of the really big plays of that Super Bowl, which is the only Super Bowl that the Saints have ever won. Um The other thing also real quickly about Denver, uh, and I'll have more on this on Friday, they are not explosive offensively. They move the football, and a lot of the Russell Wilson completions, and he had 27 of them, were typical Russ Wilson plays, you know, vintage Seattle Russell Wilson, where he's moving around uh, and outside of the pocket extending the play. A lot of off-schedule completions, including the two touchdowns, Look, Russ has never been a big-time pocket passer. His best work has been done outside of the pocket. And that's what you noticed from the game on Sunday is that, you know, Russ has struggled from the pocket in, in, in part because of his size 
over the years. But I thought he did a good job outside of the pocket. But they're not an explosive offensive team. Cortland Sutland's out there, but no Jerry Judy this week. No Jerry Judy in the opener. No Jerry Judy this week. Tim Patrick got hurt before the season started. I am a Javante Williams fan, their running back, and I think Samaje Pirine has looked pretty good for them as well. Uh, I'm looking forward to this matchup because I do think it's a winnable game. Look, they're playing a team that's more interested and better than the team they just played, but it's not an explosive offensive team, and I think it could be another game in which the defense shines. We shall see. Um, Denver's defense is capable of, Uh, And again, it's going to be better than what they faced on Sunday overall. Um, Anyway, uh, Denver, a a three-and-a-half-point favorite uh, on Sunday, where the weather is supposed to be beautiful. 83 and sunny in Denver. Uh, That's not a humid 83 either. Not at 5,280 feet. 5,280, right, equals a mile. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure it's 5,280. Uh... Before we get to Scott, I wanted to talk about Eric Bieniemy here for just a, a moment or two. Uh, I was constructively critical of the play calling on Sunday against Arizona because I thought there were too many dropbacks. I thought there were too many passes, and I didn't think that there was an adjustment to the fact that the game's result was being put at risk by dropping back Sam as much as they dropped him back. And look, they had, you know, they took six sacks and had three turnovers and still won the game. That's pretty remarkable. Uh, And it's also a reflection of just how bad Arizona is. Um, They were playing a guy that, for all intents and purposes, is, is really a third string NFL quarterback in Josh Dobbs. But I also pointed out that there could have been perhaps, you know, a long term thought, a long term plan with Eric Bieniemy. So I want to talk a little bit about that because I actually think I may be onto something here. So they came out and they were chucking the ball all around the park. I mean, at one point, I think it was 33, you know, called pass plays, including plays that ended in penalties, et cetera, um, that didn't actually count on the, the, the play sheet. But in terms of the, what was called in the huddle, at one point, I think it was 33 to 11, all right, passes over runs. And that went from first half into the first two series of the third quarter. And then the approach changed. And I, I had talked about the other day that there's a long-term thinking here as it relates to not only Sam Howell, but the kind of offense that Eric Bieniemy wants to coach. In today's NFL, it's really hard to win big and win often over a period of years without being able to throw the football. You know, game-managing quarterbacks and game-managed teams aren't sustained winners typically, and they're not consistent threats to go deep into the postseason. And Eric Bieniemy just came from a team that has been a consistent Super Bowl threat year in and year out since Patrick Mahomes took over. But, you know, even Andy Reid has always had sustained winners and has always understood that today's game, you've got to be able to throw the football. You have to think aggressively. And I think that part of the Eric Bieniemy plan here is to play it aggressively and to err on the side of being aggressive. 
And that's the game plan. Like, you can talk about there weren't a lot of wrinkles, there wasn't enough, you know, trickeration, there wasn't enough Kansas City in some of the plays and play design. Well, it's early. And by the way, he doesn't have Patrick Mahomes or Tariq Hill or Travis Kelsey. But I think that winning the game is important. Of course, they want to win every game. But if they go down, they want to go down thinking aggressively and becoming a team that can throw the football. And by the way, it's easy to think that way with this particular group because A, he's got a quarterback that can actually make every throw and, by the way, has some mobility and is coachable. But most importantly is it's actually the strength of the offense, the, the, the pass catchers, the wide receivers. So he wants the ball in their hands. And so I just think that there is a mindset with Eric Bieniemy. It's one game, and I've cautioned all week about one game, especially week one. But I can't wait to see what the game plan is for Denver. I can't wait to see if he continues to let Sam go back and drop back and throw it a lot more than they run it. Ultimately, it balanced out, but it wasn't the way games typically balance out, right? Usually, you know, you throw it to get the lead, you run it to run the clock out and win the game. They were losing for much of the game, and they ran it to take the lead after trailing. Like, they decided, well, we've put this game at too much risk, and we didn't think that the game would be at this much risk. Maybe they're thinking they thought they could certainly throw the football. That was part of the thinking. But, I, you know, in, in terms of it wasn't that, oh, we're just going to come out here and throw it. It doesn't matter what it results in because it's going to be a learning experience. But I do think that the learning ex- experience that he wants Sam to learn that we're going to throw the football and we're going to be aggressive and you're going to take some lumps here early in your 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 career as a starter and you're going to have to grow from those experiences. I don't want you to grow from game managing experiences. I want you to grow from being aggressive. You know, a lot of coaches will also always say in any sport, I don't care if you make a mistake, but I want it made full speed. And I think that's Eric Bieniemy's mindset. I do. But I think on Sunday because the game actually had been put at risk by being too aggressive, that when they got that big turnover from Montez Sweat, they decided, okay, we're not going to drop back and potentially take a sack and get knocked out of field goal range and then have to punt and let them, you know, fool around, you know, uh, being uh, – and I'm talking about that drive at the second turnover when they were up 17-16. Um, and, you know, we'll, 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 we'll take the four-point lead because that should be good enough for a win. And so he ran Brian Robinson Jr. three times. But even on the drive after the sweat turnover, the touchdown drive that gave them the lead, you know, we started to see an emphasis on not putting the game at risk. They needed a touchdown. They were down 16-10, but it was Brian Robinson, Brian Robinson, Brian Robinson, Brian Robinson. And then on first and goal from the eight, Sam Howell, incomplete, Chris Rodriguez for a two-yard gain, and then they dropped Sam Howell back and he scrambled for a touchdown. But the mindset changed when the game became, um, you know, uh, became a a major risk in terms of losing it. I just, I said this on Monday that maybe there's a method to this. Maybe he wants to 
think in terms of developing this young quarterback in a way in which we're going to throw the football because that's the way you win big in this league. And it may put the team at risk at times of being in a closer game than they want to be in or maybe losing a game, Um, but that there's some long-term thinking here. And I think to a certain level, I may be correct on some of that. So I want to see, I can't wait to see how this Denver game gets handled. Who knows? They might come out and just try to ram it down their throat with the run um, and be much more balanced in the first half than they were. But I think part, there was there was a message that Eric Bieniemy's, you know, uh, was was giving to Sam Howell, giving to this offense that we're going to be a team that not only improves, but we're going to be a team that improves. That has it, it, when, when we improve, we're going to have a chance to win big, not just go nine and eight and be a seven seed. And that may not happen this year. It may happen next year with Sam or the year after. Um, so overall, uh, I'm, I liked the aggressiveness. I love the, the aggressiveness at the end of the first half. And I just think the, watching Eric Bieniemy call these games was always a big storyline heading into this season. But it's become even more interesting to me after one game. But we'll see. The one game may have just been the one game. Scott Van Pelt next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. 
This segment of the show brought to you by my good friends at MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag, use my promo code KevinDC. On a deposit of $50 or more, you can receive up to $200 in cash instantly into your MyBookie account. Bet your deposit amount just one time, and you can withdraw at any time, but you've got to use my promo code KevinDC to claim your cash deposit. You can bet anything, anytime, anywhere, only with my bookie. Jumping on with me right now is my good friend, Scott Van Pelt from ESPN. First of all, um, did you check out how the the uh, odds makers adjusted the totals for week two in the NFL? See how low they are? No. You know, it was a very low scoring week one. Unders were 12 and four. And there are like four or five games that are in the high 30s to like 40 in terms of totals. So I don't know That's what. Interesting. Yeah, I don't know what's going on. It was a low-scoring week one. There were some weather issues, I think, in some places, but um, I don't know. It looks like uh, defense is ahead of offense at this time of the year. How are you doing? How was Monday night at MetLife? It was fun. It's a great reminder of what it's like to be in the middle of something like that. Uh, the atmosphere before was unbelievable. I mean, it was a city that was in a frenzy, and then the air comes out of the balloon when Rogers gets hurt, and then it ends with this walk-off, and it's 80-something thousand people going just bananas, and then you're on TV a second later. And then there's there's nothing that's quite like that, and so being in the middle of it was was great fun. You know, you told me that just the feeling before kickoff and the electricity in that building, the energy in that building, and you and I both know what, a stadium or an arena that's really jacked up um, feels like. Mm-hmm. That, where did this rank? I mean, it, it, it doesn't get much. It doesn't get much higher. I mean, like, what, what's the volume go to, right? I mean, it's the old Spinal Tap joke. It goes to eleven. I mean, this this was at eleven. It was it was the kind of thing where, you know, the stadiums now, they're different from the old days of, I mean, our memories of RFK, which are might as well be a hundred years ago. But I mean, every stadium's got pyrotechnics and lights and and you know the, the, the stereos sound is you know the speakers are out of you know it's, it's ear splitting and i'm damn near deaf uh so it's i mean it was it's all of that but then it's just you, you're waiting and it's september 11th and you're just outside of new york city and guys are coming out with american flags and here comes aaron Rodgers, and they've been waiting for decades forever for a moment like this where they all buy in and then it's, it's you know charlie brown with a football um it's, it's just impossible impossible how it, it went from 11 to zero and that building was was it was you can understand it i mean they just like you got to be kidding me uh, and the defense gives them a chance keeps them in it and and you know like that's a game if you're buffalo you just can't lose you just can't can't lose that game and they did and uh it was i mean the the before before and after were amazing the middle the middle was uh, you know it was, it was understandably flat yeah, I mean, it was just such a stunning occurrence, four snaps into it, and um, I I just, I think everybody was just completely jaw-dropped in that moment, and then it was just waiting to see 
what it was. Um, Scott, for those of you who don't know, and my guess is most of you do know, uh, is now hosting Monday Night Football's pregame on ESPN with RG3, with Marcus, with with uh, with, with Spears, with. Uh, Ryan Clark and uh, a lot of others, and uh, it's off to a, a great start. You know, just tell everybody this is a different role for you. You've done so much in so many different ways, play by play of golf and the big majors, and obviously Sports Center and so many things. But what's this been like through the first? You know, well, you did the Baltimore game uh, here in Washington during the preseason, but that really didn't match what Monday night yeah, was like. No, so, so what's the gig like? It's interesting, just because it's because it is different and it feels different. You know, they they gave they gave me Sports Center to do with it what I wanted. Right? I mean, it was me sitting out there by myself, my man Stanford Steve in the in the studio but not sitting next to me. I and mean, it was just a total departure, and it was a blank canvas, do what you want with it. Monday Night Countdown, there are people on the production side and in front of the camera who have been on it before, and I'm sensitive to that. I don't want to come in and just start elbowing my way up to the bar and say, all right, here's what we're going to do, because I don't think that's, that doesn't feel like being a real good teammate. At the same time, they didn't put me out there to be a traffic cop either. So it's it, this was the first show we ever did. It's 9-11. It's New York. It's Aaron Rodgers. It's not like you get to kind of test the water. You're diving in the deep end right off the bat. And then there's weather that arrives an hour before, and you can't do the show on the field. They send you up to some uh, club-level deal where four guys sitting on chairs in a, in a suite. I mean, it, it's, it wasn't uh, the, the, the smoothest way to try to take off. But I was really pleased because... It felt I felt largely like myself, and what I mean by that, Kevin, is I mean you know me. I'm 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 very comfortable with myself. I'm very comfortable with the role in Sports Center. So I think when you watch me, I think largely you know me as well as anyone. Like that's me. I'm not. I really don't alter myself. I just didn't want to. I didn't want to feel like I was being playing some role or being some version of me that wasn't me. And I didn't. And so I was pleased with that. That it felt like, um, you know, it felt like. Uh, me, me largely that the one thing I told them when, when we talked about this beforehand was I don't tend to watch pregame NFL shows and I, I just don't understand why the networks feel the need to have like an all 22 <laughs> on a set like what are we doing you just no one can get a word in edgewise it's just I don't know what the point is of so many shows where it's just there, there's like 20 people what are we I doing know. I agree and we we, we don't have that for the most part, I mean, there, there are segments where it's two or three of us. There's one segment where you're making picks, and it's, it's everyone who's there. Alex Smith, who's there, who's just a phenomenal guy. Um, and for the first one, if this is where we start, then I'm, I'm optimistic about how, as we all get more comfortable with one another, we'll get to a, a, a place where we all feel great about it. Uh, I just, I just was, I had no idea what I would, what it would feel like, and thankfully. Um, you know, as I say, I, I felt comfortable. I didn't feel like I was kind of a passenger along for the ride. I didn't know where we were going. Uh, real quickly about the game, um, well, not about the game, about the future of the Jets and Aaron Rodgers. Do you think he plays again? I, I, I tend to. I think he, he put so much into this 
and invested so much in it emotionally, uh, just with his time, just trying to get all these young guys on that jet side kind of all aligned and see his vision and all the bit, all the rest of that bit. I just can't imagine that that he wouldn't. Having said that, Kevin, you know, I, I, I've done golf my whole career, and Tiger was he was going to catch Jack like that was there was no other option. Well, okay, then your back gets fused, and you have a million different surgeries, and you don't, you don't always get to write your own walk off. You, you don't always get to choose it. So, uh, my guess is that this is the type of injury that would allow him to heal completely. He'd be forty years old. I know he was energized completely in New York in a way that, you know, he wasn't in Green Bay at the end. If I'm betting, I'd bet he would. Um, you just, I, I just can't imagine that you get the next year this time after, after all of that. And you go, yeah, I'm good with the fact that I got four snaps and 75 seconds, and then I, that was how my career ended. I, just, I don't think anyone can picture that. What were your big takeaways from week one other than Monday night? Uh, I mean, the headlines to me were Tua and Tyreek, uh, and you know what that what that looks like with Tua is healthy. Uh, we've we've seen games like that. I'd be really interested to see how how they do this week against New England. New England largely boxed up Philadelphia. You know that offense didn't do a whole lot um, against the Patriots. Uh, they had a pick six, and you know they ended up hanging on and winning by um, too many. If you took New England, thanks to a two point conversion that got uh, a flag on it. Yeah. Neither here nor there. Um, but I, I think I think the the way Miami looked was was interesting. Dallas's defense was was clearly uh, the the singular storyline from any one unit. Like you, you have to ask yourself: is, is this a Detroit? Excuse me. Is this a Dallas? Is that good or New York's that bad type of deal? I imagine it's probably a little bit of both. It almost always is. And then I just think there was frankly a lot of just kind of I don't know. Close games, but not really entertaining games. You know, the Broncos and the Raiders, the Saints and the Titans, the Commanders and the Cardinals. I mean, yeah, these are all close games, but none of them were, were what you'd call brisk, well-played affairs. Yeah, no, I, you're right. I mean, I, I, I talked about how not only was it low scoring, but basically almost every single game in the league, with the exception of the Monday night game, ended with you know quarterbacks taking knees. <laughs> Um, and, you know, sometimes that happens after, you know, a last-second field goal, but the close games weren't kind of walk-off games either. Um, what no, did you... I mean, like, close, close doesn't always mean really entertaining. Yeah, it just means they can be close kind of because everyone's sort of similarly futile. <laughs> but it is real football, and thank God we have that back. Um, oh, no, you... I'm not complaining. Oh, I yeah. Just, I mean, it just it – just... You know, it just speaks to what we've always said. I mean, when you're ravenous for this, you don't. It's like, all right, it was you know, was it fillet? No, it's kind of a ham sandwich. But like, stack it, stack them up on the table. We all want to eat them. What did you? How much of Washington, Arizona, did you watch? Um, and, or and and what are your thoughts of of them week one? Quite a bit. Um, quite a bit. I I I mean, I all I kept thinking was they can't lose this football game. You just can't. I know you were there. Um. You and I talked off air about just, you know, there's buy-in from the crowd and people are excited, and that's great. Um, I mean, the defense is really good, we know. I don't know how much you learn going up against Joshua Dobbs and that Arizona team. It's pretty limited. 
Um, the how the how thing, uh, I don't know. I mean, the turnover before halftime, you just can't make can't make a mistake in that spot. I, I mean, I, I get what they were trying to do. You had enough time to make something happen. Um, I just think I, I walked away from a comment kind of shrugging and going, all right, well, they didn't lose, so that's all that matters in the NFL. And they say the biggest jump's typically made from week one to week two, and I think you're hoping to see that if you're a Washington fan. You know, you're hoping to see uh, the offense have something. They didn't have much going the other day. All right, uh, let's flip it to college football real quickly. How good's the Deion Sanders story been for the sport here in the first two weeks? It's amazing. Uh, I mean, look, it, it, Fox is all in. They, they took their they took their pregame show there and just didn't leave. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Which was fascinating. They, they set up shop out there in, in Boulder and did uh, the pregame before the game they had last week, and then they said, we're not leaving. And then game day said, well, we're coming, and it's our game, so what, what are we doing here? Which I don't know how they sorted it out behind the scenes, who gets to set up where. Um, it's this, you know, kind of very inside the beltway, our industry pissing match, but who gets to have their set where. Uh, but ESPN's fired up because they've got, I think they've got Oregon, uh, ABC has Oregon, uh, Colorado the following week. Uh, and, I mean, he's, I think every school that wondered about him and what it might look like if you signed up for all that comes with Dion, and that's not a negative. I just mean he is a he is a massive self promoter, which I'm sure you're happy to have be part of what you get because it's it's made Colorado football relevant in a way it hasn't been in forever. But I think if you're one of these schools last off season to kind of kick the tires on. You know, should we hire this guy? Like, I mean, it, Colorado's been the singular story of, of the season. Um, and it, granted, it's a couple weeks in, but it's 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 amazing. Um, his his son's his son's excellent. Hunter's and you know, I saw a, com, a column today about how he's sort of college football Shohei Otani, right? He's a two way guy with the massive impact both places. Um, we'll see what we'll see what happens when they. When they, in the next coming weeks when they play Oregon and USC. Colorado State can't do it. They're not going to beat them. Um, but after that, all right, now 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 you're in the ring with people that are not just in your weight class. They, may, they might have a few pounds on you, right? So that's when we'll start to really see what it is. But um, I don't know. I love the dude. I, 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 always, I always have gotten um, a kick out of sort of who he is. Um, and... He's energized, the, he's energized the, the sport in, an, in, an, in a totally different way. Yeah, I, I've always been a fan, too, and he wins at virtually everything he does. Uh, we'll see what happens like, at Oregon. If you don't dig it, like, so what is it? What, what, I'd be curious what, what it is. And, and, you know, maybe people that are, you know, old school or whatever. I mean, stuff always kind of feels like it's kind of coded to me. Like, you know, is that, what, what is it you really don't like? You know, but I, I just, I just I've, I've always, I've always, and uh, admired just the talent, which was one thing. But then I thought I, I, I thought he would pivot into our business the way he did, where he's you know he's a, he's a star doing that. And now you know he's a star in an ability to attract young players and and give them this stage where you know again it's it's early, but um, you know they're just guys are just showing out, you know <laughs> and. How long will it continue? If it keeps going, I mean, it's that the hype train will get com- just to the levels we haven't ever really seen. Yeah, I, I don't know that. 
I wouldn't describe it as coded. I think that there are people that are old school that don't like loudmouths, but loudmouths that have consistently <laughs> backed it up their entire professional life, you know, as a player yeah, and now well, as no, a coach. Me... Like to me, that's look. If if he's gonna, and, and by the way, loudmouth is you know is a subjective thing. He is to me very quick, very funny, quick. Um, obviously very bright, and then on top of that, the dude just wins at everything he does and is arguably the greatest cornerback in the history of the National Football League. Well, for sure, and then he pivoted to baseball and, and, right. and you know was able to do that at, at the highest possible level. I just mean... I, I mean, anytime you say loudmouth and it happens to be a black man, then it can then it can become well. What do you mean? Well, you, you could I could just I, your point's well taken. You could just mean I, you're just a loudmouth. I'm not saying it has anything to do with you being a black guy. And there were people that framed like people cussing at him at TCU and does this happen to white guys? Were you joking? Like the entire LSU stadium chanting F Nick Saban. Of course it happened. Yeah. It happens to right. in college football. Like yeah. there's uh, when when you're when you're at at a certain level. Then you're going to get the, the worst of it. The worst types of behavior um, from fans, unfortunately, comes with it. But um, listen, I, he's he, you, you said it well. He's he's wanted pretty much everything. Not pretty. He's wanted everything he's done. And uh, the question is, how long can he can he win? Like if they're if they're a bowl team, which it certainly appears at minimum they will be after winning a game last year, then flipping the roster entirely has has worked at a level that. That the game now affords you the opportunity to do, you know, it, it it's kind of it's it, does it, does every school want to you know see their entire roster get flipped every year? Of course not, um, but I think we all understand that the you know the student athlete day and the the idea of four years you're going to go to school in the same place like it just doesn't happen. The portal and all that allows a, a, a turnaround like this. You just need a um, an attraction like Deion Sanders. And excuse me, Coach Prime. Coach, is that officially his name? Like literally, like Gus, I think just kept. Call, I think it's just Coach Prime. Well, maybe he'll become a symbol at some point. Just a symbol, you know. In, in work for Prince. In thinking exactly, in thinking about Dion, like I've always gotten the biggest kick out of Dion, and it makes me think of how much I actually miss Mike Leach, and how much the sport will miss Mike Leach. You know, and what. Uh, and and how and what an absolute quote machine and how entertaining he was and by the way how good of a coach he was. Um, I still yeah, that's, that's yeah. interesting. That, that, those aren't people I would I, I, that you would necessarily think of co- as a as a comparative model. But you know, he, Mike was an innovator and Mike was yeah. funnier than hell. And Mike didn't care what you thought. That's for sure. Did not give a uh, shit. Yeah. Um, no, he did not. So, uh, by the way, I cannot this 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 weekend's a good weekend. Week four, the weekend of this uh, of of September, it would be the twenty third, Saturday the twenty third. Uh, have you seen the lineup of games? You already mentioned Colorado, Oregon, on on ABC, but that day features. Uh, Iowa, Penn State, Ohio State, Notre Dame, um, Colorado, Oregon, Florida State, Clemson. I think UCLA and Utah play that day. Um, the Pac-12. You're right. You're right. No, I was looking. At, I was looking at them last night. And uh, Week Four is great. But you know the thing that, that happens, Kevin, and you you know as well as I do because we're because we're old. 
that the weeks where you, you get caught looking down the road at what's coming next week is where somebody big is going to stub their toe. Um, it, it, so, so who it stubs their toe this weekend? And who? Yeah. I mean, I, we always look for the you, you look for the spots. I don't think it's Penn State because I think that, that I think that, that this quarterback they've got different. Um, but you go you go on the road and take on an Illinois team that struggled at home with Toledo and then got thumped at Kansas. I mean, it's the kind of spot that, that I think is always a little bit concerning if you're the higher rated team, right? You go into a, a ranked, you're the ranked team on the road, your first conference game, first road game. You know, th- those spots are the ones that always kind of jump out and look like maybe, maybe that's a spot where you could get got. I think Kansas State at Missouri is a tricky spot. Yeah. Um, I think Tennessee at Florida for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm certain I'll have Florida in winners just on general principle. Um, you know, there's there's some spots for for, but and you know, the yeah, there's, our, there's always a spot for that. But but you're right. Obviously, the the schedule next weekend is loaded top to bottom with um, with teams from the same sort of you know same sort of space. Yeah, the Penn State Illinois game uh, really stands out as does K State Missouri. By the way, our general principal games are zero for zero and two. South Alabama and Nebraska may have been the all time high profile general principal game. <laughs> On Saturday, and I that, agree. Look, I, yeah, totally agree. I, and I and I, I'll say, I don't know if I said it on the show or on Twitter or maybe maybe I just thought it and didn't say it. But if you're Vegas, you you, you better figure this shit out because you, if Vegas isn't in the business of opening up the the drawer to the to the till for for people <laughs> to just come grab this full of cash, but they're going to line up and wait for you to open the doors to fire on Colorado every week until you figure out what the number's supposed to be. And giving them away last week at three in a game against the Nebraska team, who and you, you gave them out, I gave them out, I'm watching the game. I mean, it's, if Nebraska had any sort of quarterback play, the, the game was there to be a, to be a four-quarter close game if Nebraska could have figured it out, but they couldn't. And, but Colorado's going to win by more than three. Uh, so you better, you better make your numbers right because, I mean, I'm sure people are lining up to fire on them this week, and why wouldn't they? Yeah, I mean, I think what they saw was they saw they were going to play a team that was really good defensively, and they played a team that basically had like four players in the box the entire game uh, in the opener uh, against TCU, and they just shredded it. Uh, But they didn't account for Jeff Sims being as bad as any quarterback could possibly be. Um, in a football game because they certainly looked like the right side through the first, through midway through the second quarter. Um, yeah, but then you know, to quote the head ball coach, not very good. It, it was uh, <laughs> it was it was not a sound performance in the quarterbacking game for the for the Cornhuskers. No, no. It, was, it was a rough outfit uh, offensively on Saturday <laughs> for Nebraska. It was. Um, what do you make of the Terps so far? And Friday night, I mean, I was actually kind of looking forward to this when we found out that they were going to play, you know, an old ACC rival in football on Friday night. But Virginia stinks. Yeah, that, they're 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 on the struggle bus for sure. I mean, here, here's what I'd say, and I know that your yours is a show, Kevin, with massive reach here in the area. <laughs> if the weather's supposed to be perfect, like fall in the 70s during the day, upper 50s at night. It's an old ACC rival. If they're good, if they're not, whatever. I, I believe they've, they've sold a bunch of tickets, and, and I'm sure there'll be a lot of Virginia people in the building. Come to the game. 
You know, I, it, for years, we, we know the myriad of reasons. Well, there's the Ravens and there's the Commander. Uh, fine. We know oh, there are a lot of options in it. Fine. There, you could make every excuse you want to make. But you could also you could also go buy a ticket. You can get one for not a lot of money. And you could cheer for the Chargers. If you're a Maryland fan and, and, and you don't get out there, then I don't know what you what's ever going to get you out there. You know, this team's are they Ohio State or Penn State? No. They're trying to get there. You know, these are the types of games where we're getting behind them, filling the stadium, showing some support for locks and this team uh, would would really help because it can be difference making. You know, it truly can be difference making at some point. They might need to lean on the crowd actually sticking around for four quarters. And I'm not talking to the students. I'm talking to the old. I know. Like the we, old need to do, need I know. To do we, better here. We do this every time we want there to be a bigger crowd for a game in a spot like this. And, Look, you and I went to we sat in that box in Turgeon's box for the Penn State game and when it was 21 nothing we left. So let's not act like no, we I, yeah, I, we well, haven't yeah, done that well, before. Um but but more importantly, what do you make of the team cuz No, I know I know that. I know I yeah. know I I know I am making this plea to, to I know call you. to action to the right. constituency and you're asking what do I think of the team? I I really don't know how you know. Uh I mean, fourteen to nothing to Charlotte um, was obviously not what anyone had in mind. The fact that the defense was was a whole lot better the rest of the way, and the offense did enough to to, to win. Um, that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to win that game, and they did ultimately fairly comfortably. And I don't know what you really learned against Virginia. Um, I I assume you'll get the, their best. You'll learn more in this game than you have in either of the first two. But I, honest, I just don't know how to honestly answer the question or evaluate them based on what they've seen. I think the offensive line will continue to be a work in progress and the main issue. Um, I think defensively they've got enough to, to, to be competitive. Uh, they've got skill position players that certainly, you know, quarterbacks, receivers, and running back position that are going to give them a chance to score points. Um, and, and this week, I, I don't, I mean, I don't, think that they're going to just blow the doors off Virginia and then next week you hit the road and take on Michigan State you know you're going to learn you know I'm talking about Colorado you're going to learn more about them in the coming weeks um well you'll learn more about Maryland as well um maybe to some degree beginning Friday I mean I you know I I just would expect Virginia to come in and play better than they have in the first two games all right uh thanks for doing this oh you've got a double header Monday night so where will you be when we when they have two games like that, they don't go to any they don't go to a venue. It'll, like well, I'll go up to Connecticut on Monday, so the next two Mondays will actually be will be in the studios doing countdown for. It's like it's a it's a combination show for both shows. Does that make sense? I mean, for both games rather, and then I'll just stay there to do Sports Center um, from the studio, and then the next time we're back out on the road is um, week four when it's same venue, Meadowlands. It'll be the Giants and the Seahawks, who, who collectively played two just absolute ass games. And I believe Seattle had 180 yards of offense, and the Giants had the, one of the singular worst performances ever. So let's hope that we, uh, that we get things buttoned up between now and week four. Well, I, we're off to a huge rating start. We'll, we'll, we, need to, we need to continue to deliver the big numbers. Um, 
two doubleheaders the next two weeks on Monday Night Football. And then, by the way, just if you, if you didn't know, that Giants game in the Meadowlands, a lot of people that we know will be attending that game, including Grande, who's coming uh, uh, up for that game. Well, well that's fantastic. Have them, come, have them come down the field. They well, they, the you know, we'll the, the, all of those guys go to one Giant game, a Monday night game, if it's at Monday, if they have a Monday night game, and they've been doing that for years. Um, so yeah, you'll have, uh, you'll have even more fans. You'll have familiar fans, uh, at that giant game. We're we're happy to have any, anyone that, anyone that likes us at all. We're, we're happy to have them alongside. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Sounds good. We'll see you. Scott Van Pelt, everybody. Uh, up next, Mark Zuckerman on the extension given to Mike Rizzo. And I'll also ask uh, Zuck about this whole Strasburg retirement thing. That's next, right after these words from a few of our sponsors. Football season is finally here. If you're looking for a spot to watch your favorite teams battle it out, Head to Due South Dockside in Navy Yard, right on the Capitol Riverfront Boardwalk, with a stock bar, draft beer, and a menu full of Due South house-smoked barbecue favorites. Their waterside location is the perfect place to gather all season long or to host your next event. Come on down, do the queue at Due South. Menus and more at DueSouthDC.com. Guys, Great barbecue at Due South. And it's another place right near Nats Park, a place where you can go before or after the game. Uh, but a, an exceptional menu, um, a real fun place to hang out uh, for a bite to eat. Uh, again, DueSouthDC.com for more information. Speaking of Nats Park, we're going to finish up with what I promised at the beginning of the show, and that is our good friend Mark Zuckerman, who covers the team for Masson Sports. Uh, you can read his stuff at MassonSports.com or just get it at his Twitter uh, page, at Mark Zuckerman on Twitter. So Mike Rizzo signs a multi-year contract extension. It seemed a little bit weird here, Mark, over the last month, month and a half, or maybe it's the last month at this point, where Davey signed his contract extension. We thought it was going to be Rizzo. Just tell us how the whole thing played out and your thoughts on Rizzo staying in D.C. Well, I think the order of this was a little unusual. You don't normally see the, the manager or coach get his deal before the GM does because the GM is part of the deal to, uh, you know, the, the decision to retain a manager or a coach. So the timing was a little odd. When it did happen three weeks ago, the sense I got was that, while there wasn't a deal done at that point, they were moving towards it and still had some details to work out. Now, according to Rizzo himself, uh, he wanted to get Davey done first. He felt like that was important for the clubhouse chemistry. He didn't want a lame duck manager. Um, and then he felt like they would get to his eventually, and he was never at all that concerned that it wouldn't get done. I, I was the same way. I, I knew even if it took a while, there was little reason to believe that they wouldn't ultimately work something out. Now, in the interim, they made some changes to their front office. Uh, some scouts were let go or reassigned, and that led to some people wondering if there might be some discord there and some problems. I, I don't think there was anything all that out of the ordinary. I think it was probably a case of Rizzo negotiating with the Lerner family, what he was looking for, them offering what they were going to offer, I think some of that may have been, hey, um, we want you to make some changes. You've had a lot of people in positions for a while, 
and things always haven't worked out for the best, but let's try something different. So maybe it took some time to get that done. But in the end, it made too much sense. There was no reason for him to want to go anywhere else. There was no reason for the learners to want anyone else in this position. My feeling has always been the day they traded Juan Soto, I think that meant you had to give Mike Rizzo and Davey Martinez, for that matter, several years now to go through the rebuild and see if they can pull this thing off. I don't think it would have been fair to evaluate them for their performance when you've torn down the roster and told them you need to start all over again. So two years from now, it's a different story. Um, but for now, I think it makes all the sense in the world that both these guys should have the opportunity now to see this thing through and see if they can turn them into a winner again. Is Mike Rizzo a top 10 baseball general manager? I think so. I mean, he's the third longest tenured GM now in the in the sport, which is pretty amazing. Who, who's he's been, who's been longer? Team. Cashman? Who else? And Brian Cashman in New York and John Mozalik in uh, St. Louis are Got the it. only two. Got it. Kenny Williams with the White Sox had been there longer. He was just fired a few weeks ago, right. actually. So in this business, it's very rare to have this opportunity. And I think even rarer for someone to build a team, team up once, win a World Series, then tear it all down and be given the opportunity to do it all over again. Um, those other guys, you know, the Yankees are pretty much always expecting to be competitive. Same for the Cardinals. Now, this year, the Cardinals have fallen apart, and, and Mosaic may be in a position for the first time to have to rebuild. So I think Rizzo is pretty unique in that regard. Now, I think there are people in the sport that would say he's a little too old school, and there are a lot of young up-and-comers with backgrounds that aren't even in baseball, but in finance and in analytics and all those things who are the new wave of this. He is kind of a relic in that his background is all scouting and uh, came up through the ranks that way and has you know stood test of time as a 62-year-old still doing this job. So I think there are some that would say he's not the future. That's not the way that most teams are going. But I think what he has accomplished is right up there with anyone. And, you know, this is a conversation for another day, but if he does see this thing through, and let's say they do build a winner again, maybe even go to or win another World Series, this going to be a pretty interesting case for him for Cooperstown someday. Yeah, if right. He does it. A huge, a huge if. I'm, I'm not. Uh, I, I know. I know. But that, how many? How many? How many general up. managers in the history of the sport have done it twice with completely different rosters and managers? Right. Exactly. And and not going to different teams. You've had guys who've gone to different teams. Right. And won, but with the same team. And like I said, to have the opportunity to build a winner, then tear it down and start all over again. Uh, it's pretty unique, I think, in the sport. Yeah, I mean, let's pump the brakes because he hasn't done it yet, and he's not anywhere right. near there right now. By the way, as it relates to him, and I had him on the the podcast maybe a month or so ago. I like him a lot. I of of the of of the executives in town that I know or have had relationships with uh, over the years. He's one of my favorite people because he's just genuine, and he is a competitive grinder you know he it's just the way he is kind of built and by the way he loves this city you know he's not from here he's from the midwest and he loves this city but what do you think he hurt him more and i'm not talking about what they got back in return or how it will be judged down the road because we can't even talk about soto now trading harper or trading soto Oh boy, um, I think they both hurt. Obviously, for for you know, good reason. I think the Harper one probably was softened by knowing that you had a lot of really good talent already, and obviously they won a World Series the next year. 
So, you know, not to say that they didn't want to keep Harper, that he couldn't have been a part of that. Um, but I think he, you know, at least understood, okay, we're still in good shape, in part because of Soto, in fact. The trade of Soto, I think, was really hard because, number one, this is a kid they found in the Dominican Republic. Johnny DePuglia, who is no longer with them, by the way, their international scouting director for a long time. They turned him very quickly into not just a big leaguer, but an elite all-time big leaguer who performed at an incredible level right from the start, helped them win a World Series, and then so early on, you know, with, with three years almost to go uh, before he could become a free agent, having to deal him for prospects, I think that was a really bitter pill for him to swallow. I think he knew in the end that it made sense from a baseball standpoint, but I think personally it hurt him because this is a once-in-a-lifetime player that they discovered. You know, Bryce Harper was going to go number one that right. year no matter who had that pick. It's not like it was hard to make that decision. They had to find Juan Soto and turn him into the player that he was, and then to have to let him go the way they did. I think that one probably, you know, deep down hurt him a little bit more. One of the other reasons I wanted to have you on today is I just would like you, uh, who covers the team on a daily basis, to explain to me and everybody else out there listening why the Steven Strasburg retirement thing uh, that was supposed to happen here recently hit a snag. Oh, boy. Yeah, there's a lot to this one as well. And Rizzo talked about it. He was asked about it at his uh, press conference to announce the deal. Basically, let, let's let's go backwards here a little bit. Um, over the winter, last winter, I was told that Strasburg was essentially feeling fine and, and doing well and wanted to give it essentially one more try uh, to pitch. And the understanding was that if he got to a point that he started throwing off a mound and it just wasn't working, he knew that was probably the end of the road. And sure enough, that's what happened by you know, didn't even make it to spring training, and then we found out the first day of spring training what had happened. So I really do believe from that moment, he knew and the team knew that his career was over. Now, the problem is it's not as simple as just announcing that and deciding that. If uh, you are a major league player and you voluntarily decide to retire, you forfeit the rest of your contract. I know baseball contracts are guaranteed, but you can't just walk away whenever you want and expect to be paid everything you're owed. If, if he had announced the day after he signed his contract that he was retiring, he wouldn't deserve that money. You can't do that. So he couldn't just say, okay, I'm done. Now, there's contingencies in there if you suffer a debilitating injury and can no longer perform, which is pretty clearly what has happened to him, that you can work things out uh, with the team and with the league to make sure that you get paid. It's a complicated process. The sense I got was that uh, three weeks ago, whatever it is now, um, the word got out. He had let them know. They had worked this out and said, okay, uh, he's done playing, and we've probably figured out whatever the financial aspects of this all are, and so we're going to start to make plans for a press conference. Now, I think what was maybe mistakenly assumed at that point was that they already did have a deal in place of how they were going to work this out, whether it was him uh, sacrificing some of the salary or whether it was just them spreading it out, um, you know, to, to lessen the blow of it. Apparently that had not happened, not to the full extent. And Major League Baseball is involved. There is a whole process through the CBA that you have to go through for all of this. And so while there was a tentative plan for a press conference this past Saturday, it was never officially said it was going to happen. Anytime I and, and the rest of us would ask about it, they said, well, you know, leave that date open, but, but don't put it in stone. It's not for sure. 
And then I think about two days prior, we got the words like, no, it's actually not happening yet. Now, I do think it will happen at some point. It, it's a complicated process. Um, I think the back and forth, what you've uh, seen both publicly said and privately said from both sides of the equation, and, and I'm not talking about Stephen here, I'm talking about Scott Boris, and then the statement that Mark Lerner put out has made it look kind of nasty and shows that there is a, a fight over some money or at least the the process of, of how they're going to decide how much he gets and how much they spread it out over. Um, that's unfortunate. They all, I think, realize that now how that has come across. I do think ultimately they will figure something out. He's not going to attempt to pitch again. He's not coming to spring training and trying to pitch again. They all know that is not the case. But it's going to take a little while longer for them to actually finalize whatever the terms of this uh, agreement are going to be. Yeah, for those that missed it, um, because I read this uh, over the weekend and there was just too much football to, to kind of discuss it early in the week, but Mark Lerner um, had some interesting statements about all of this. He you know, he said some nice things. Steven Strasburg is and always will be an important part of the Nationals franchise. We support him in any decision that he makes and will ensure that he receives what is due to him. It's regrettable that private discussions have been made public through anonymous sources attempting to negotiate through the media. And then he said the following. Um, it is our hope that ongoing conversations remain private out of respect for the individuals involved. Until then, we look forward to seeing Stephen when we report to spring training. I mean, that is a little bit of a threatening statement there. It's like either get it together or we'll see in spring training. Be ready to play. Yeah, that was the way I interpreted it. I think that's the way everybody interpreted it. And, and, you know, think of it in these terms. That's essentially a threat. or It appears as a threat. Right. Say, okay, fine. You don't uh, want to sacrifice any of the, the money. You don't want to change the terms of your contract. Well, then you have to live up to your part of the contract, and that means you have to report to spring training and continue your rehab, quote-unquote, and attempt to pitch again. Now, deep down, nobody ever thought that would happen, and I, uh, I was surprised <laughs> At that line, I think a lot of people were taken aback by it. Now, Mike Rizzo today, uh, both with us and then when he was on uh, with the Junkies in the morning, tried to walk that back and say that's not at all what Mark Lerner meant. He meant that he wants Steven to still continue to be a, a part of the team wow. and work with young players the way that Ryan Zimmerman has in retirement and, and all that. Well, that may be true. Uh, it's not exactly Steven's personality to be somebody who's going to be around a lot and very visible in retirement. Maybe he will. I, I would be a little surprised by that. Even if that's all true, the wording of that statement, which I'm sure was not just slapped together, that was read over by many people, probably a lawyer included. That seemed to be, to be uh, not what they were trying to say and could have been said a lot better if that's truly what you meant. I think that was kind of a threat to Scott Boris and some frustration with what I assume they believe got Boris uh, leaking things out about these negotiations and being frustrated with the quote-unquote cancellation of the press conference. And so that, that's where it got nasty. I hope that it doesn't damage their relationship with Strasburg. It shouldn't. They've been too strong with each other for too long. I hope the cooler heads prevail here. But that statement definitely raised a lot of eyebrows around the sport. And I think really caught people off guard because it's so out of character for Mark Lerner to make any kind of statement right. publicly, let alone something like that. 
So just real quickly, how much is left on his $245 million deal? How much do they owe him? After this year, it's about it's three years and about $105 million. So, th- so three years and $105 million. So, right. I mean... If they're if they want to if they're going to pay him the rest of it, what do they want? Do they want to spread it out over a longer period of time and defer it for longer? What exactly is the negotiation between Strasburg and the team over what is owed Strasburg? Because his career is ending because of a debilitating injury. It's not retirement, right? And right, and and let's also make clear that the team could have taken out an insurance policy, chose not to. That's very cost prohibitive, and there's reasons why they didn't do it. If they did, this isn't really an issue anymore because insurance is going to cover the majority of that. But they did not, so they're on the hook for the money. Um, but, I, yeah, my sense was that their preference would be to try to get them to agree to space it out and that maybe over time it actually decrease, decreases the value of the, the total sure. value of it all. Uh, so that would maybe be the compromise. I don't think anybody really felt like he was going to sacrifice money or, or give any of it back. But let's be clear, this is pretty unprecedented. There have been other players who've been forced into retirement early uh, who had long-term deals. Most of them were maybe a year left to go, like Chris Davis with the Orioles. Uh, Prince Fielder had a similar situation. I remember years ago when I first started working here, Albert Bell had a degenerative hip and had to retire early. The Orioles had insurance on his contract. That's what it didn't really matter. Um, So this is an odd situation, to say the least. And here, here's the key point of it all. They need to resolve something, and relatively soon, because Stephen has spent the whole year on the 60-day IL, which is not a problem. But when the season ends, everybody comes off the IL and has to be placed on the 40-man roster for the entire winter. They cannot afford to waste a spot on him all winter, a spot that would go to a prospect or a free agent or someone else. Those are precious spots over the course of the offseason. They cannot afford to waste a spot on that. So they do need to figure out something relatively soon. They can't just wait for three years and keep them stashed on the IL all this time. That would not do the Nationals any good. Do most teams take out an insurance policy on big contracts like that? I, I think it was more common um, years ago. Uh, I think it's less so now. What I was told about this months ago when, when I asked about it, as this was kind of starting to, to crop up, was it costs so much. The premiums are so high. What are the premiums? Almost, Do you know? Uh, like, like potentially $10 million plus. That's uh-huh. what we're talking about. Okay. In, in addition to the contract. Now, in the end, would it have been better to get that? Sure. But you don't know that. And the other thing I was told is a lot of times the insurance companies won't even insure the part of the body that it would be important here, like his arm, like the most for risky, example. Yeah. And it might just be... Well, we'll insure him if he gets into a motorcycle accident and breaks his leg or something like that. Got so it. it's not as easy as it sounds. I, I know you want to say, oh, just take out the insurance. What I was told is it's not as simple as that sounds. I hope that this gets resolved in a way where Steven Strasburg can be honored for being the you know the clutch player um, and the postseason pitcher that he was for this franchise. I know we've talked about this previously, but he – I mean, the the idea that somehow Steven Strasburg's career um, fell short of what people thought it would be, maybe in terms of Cy Young's and regular season, but his pitching in the postseason is what this franchise has as its history now. I mean, at the top of the list, 
is is game six in Houston. You know, is the the game you know uh, at Wrigley in the postseason? Um, he's the guy. He he came through more than Scherzer did in the postseason, and I hope that they figure this thing out and it ends amicably so that he can be honored in the right kind of way. Yeah, I believe it will. Uh, I think we'll see something probably next year where they have a, an official number retirement ceremony, and thirty-seven will go up there alongside number 11. I mean, look, the, the, everyone's favorite player in national history is probably Zimmerman, for good reason. Uh, the best player in national history is probably Max Scherzer, who is going to be a Hall of Famer and most likely have a curly W on his cap. But I, I think there's a case that Steven is the most important player in national history. He came about at a time when they needed somebody like that to uh, change the narrative of the franchise, to turn them into a uh, a, a team that was actually on the national radar to then live up to all the hype and then perform, as you just said, in the biggest moments. They don't win a World Series without him. So I, I do believe he's the most important player, and I think ultimately, uh, probably sometime next year, as, as things calm down here, they will do that and he will be honored. And I do believe that fans um, understand what he meant to them and won't be looking at the contract or the times he didn't pitch. I think they ultimately understand just how important and what he meant to the franchise and they'll honor him as such. I wouldn't sell in the conversation of the greatest player to ever play for the franchise. I'm talking about here in Washington, second go-round, the Expos, this team. Uh, Bryce Harper short in that conversation. He had an MVP. Um, He had another phenomenal season. He was the rookie of the year, right? I think he was. Uh, And And is on a Hall of Fame track now. No doubt. And... um, he was their, you know, along with Strasburg in those early playoff years, he was a clutch performer. I mean, that series against the Giants when they couldn't generate anything offensively, he was their lone offensive player. He was the the player that generated, I think, the most. I think maybe Rendon had a couple of hits in that series, but they couldn't generate anything other than what Harper did. Yeah, no, you're right. It was the two of them and nobody else, and Harper was even better than Rendon hitting yeah. bombs off Hunter Strickland into McCovey right. Cove. So, no, you're you're right. And and I think that the difference there, and unfortunate, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier, if and when Bryce goes into the Hall of Fame, he's going to be wearing a Phillies cap and yep. not a national cap. Yeah, un- uh, un- unfortunately. Last thing real quickly, tell us about Jackson Rutledge, who's going to make his uh, pitching debut tonight for the Nats. He was their first-round pick in 2019, 17th overall. It's been a little slower path to the big leagues for him. He had some injuries. He didn't pitch especially well for a few years in the minors. So it is kind of an organizational win for him to finally prove that he was ready for this. And he earned it, working his way up the ladder, double-A AA and triple-A um, this year. He's not the top pitching prospect. This isn't Cavalli's debut, certainly not Strasburg's debut, anything like that. But... Um, a big, tall, six foot eight right-hander with good stuff who can be a part of this in the future. And if nothing else, you know, they went there from pretty much Anthony Rendon in 2011 until maybe now Rutledge in 2019, where none of their top first-round picks really amounted to much, either for them or for other organizations. Lucas Giolito did a little bit for the White Sox before his career kind of fell apart as well. They need more success stories from their own draft picks who've developed through their own system. They've got a couple of the last few years who they believe are going to do that. Rutledge is a chance to also rectify that and show that they do know how to scout 
and develop and turn guys into quality big leaguers. Thank you for doing this, as always. Uh, it's much appreciated. My pleasure, Kevin. Anytime. All right, that is it for the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy. With two out, nobody on. Here's Bregman, who has an infield hit and a home run. This one off the end of the bat. Strasburg has taken his team through eight. What a night for the 31-year-old right-hander, Stephen Strasburg. Ninth inning now, game six. Nationals bat up three. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.